Hi, I am Scott Barber. This is the Landscape Ontario podcast. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Nadina Galli in Amsterdam. Nadina is an ecological engineer and technologist dedicated to working with urban ecologists and planners to apply today's technology to improve urban ecosystems for future generations. She is also the host of the Internet of Nature podcast, which you can find on all the major podcast apps. Nadina will also be speaking at LO Congress uh, Conference in January 2022. We hope you'll check that out. But first, please enjoy my conversation with Dr. Nadina Ghali. So Nadina, would you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do? Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Scott. Um, so I, I grew up uh, not far from Landscape Ontario in, uh, in Waterloo, Ontario, uh, one of you know, Canada's fast and growing areas, um, very much a tech hub. It's you know, attracted people from all over the world, really. That's how my, uh, my parents, my Dutch parents, ended up there uh, for their jobs. I moved to Waterloo when I was six years old from the Netherlands. And um, growing up there in, you know, very typical uh, suburban neighborhood, um, I witnessed, you know, suburban sprawl happening all around me at a pretty rapid pace. You know, my parents used to live very much in uh, the outskirts of Waterloo, which has now almost become the center just because of all the development that's happened around it. And I think from a young age that that stemmed a lot of questions that I had and fascinated me with, you know, who gets to decide when, you know, we we lose an ecosystem and we get a human ecosystem or an urban ecosystem in the place for that, you know, what who gets to make those decisions in terms of how we develop our cities and um, eventually led to me being much more interested in, you know, how could we perhaps develop cities that are both great for humans, but also great for all of the other species that we share our cities and our, our suburban areas with, um, which led me to initially study ecology and evolutionary biology at the University of Toronto. Um, and I got the opportunity to do an exchange to Singapore, the National University of Singapore, which um, many have known specifically in the horticultural world as, you know, the, the Singapore touts itself as, um, um, you know, a city in a garden. And it was an incredible opportunity to see, you know, what a city that takes its urban ecology very seriously looked like. Um, and that kind of really started the passion for me in terms of, you know, how to, or I guess further the passion for me in terms of how to develop these, these sustainable, green, beautiful cities. Um, I ended up moving from Toronto um, back to my Dutch roots to Amsterdam to pursue a master's in earth sciences, which then after a number of years of, of, of working as an urban ecologist uh, turned into a PhD in ecological engineering, which I did at University College Dublin and at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, uh, MIT in uh, near Boston. And uh, that all together, really the, the, the key focus of my PhD was to look at you know, not only what is the role of urban ecology, but specifically what is the role of up and coming smart city technologies within the field of urban ecology. I was, as I mentioned, already fascinated by urban ecology, but I felt like still nature seems to be very much under threat in our cities. And perhaps all of these new, you know, tools and applications and, and, and digital technologies that were coming out through the smart city movement, you know, I saw these being applied to 
waste management and mobility, um, even the way that we vote and we shop online. You know, it seemed like everything was was going digital and everything was going online. So why not take nature online? And that's how my concept, the Internet of Nature, came to be. And I've been working very hard to uh, bring that under people's attention ever since. Fantastic. And I'd like to get back to that in a second. But but first, if, if it's OK, I, I'd love to maybe get a little deeper into um, what you said there with uh, cities and urban areas. You talk about, um, you know, green spaces in cities. It's uh, rapidly decaying or, or, or disappearing. Could you, could you maybe go a little deeper into, you know, what you're seeing there, what we're seeing, I guess, in urban areas really around the world, including here in Ontario and Canada? Yeah, I think when, you know, we think of deforestation, we think of Borneo and we think of the Amazon, but we don't typically think of the urban forest when in fact, you know, we are losing trees and vegetation at a pretty rapid pace at our very doorstep. Um, there was a study that came out um, in 2018 by the USDA Forest Service that showed that we were losing the equivalent of about 36 million trees every single year. That equates to about a 1% um, loss in urban forest cover every single year. And 1% of course doesn't sound like very much. Um, but the crazy thing about that was, is that we were actually, um, that, that, that was paralleled by a 1% increase in impervious surface cover. So, you know, asphalt and buildings and roads and these things. So we're developing at quite a rapid pace. And about 50% of, all of this new development is actually taking place on land where we used to have trees or vegetation or some kind of natural ecosystem, which means that, you know, we're not only losing trees, but we're losing land that we could potentially grow these trees and vegetation on. So if this continues, of course, you know, we're, we're, we're heading into an era where um, we're losing more and more vegetation in our cities. And I don't think that we've even really fully grasped what that means, not just ecologically, but also economically, trees and vegetation have a very large role to play in the economic health of our cities, as well as socially. You know, trees have such an important impact on the mental and physical well-being of, of people that live in cities and outside of them. Um, so we're, we're not only we're not only losing trees, but I think we we don't even realize that we're losing them because so much of these de deforestation is actually happening on private lands. And private lands are very difficult for municipalities to enforce um, or to protect the vegetation that's on them. And even if they do have something like a private tree ordinance in place to protect this private vegetation, it is very difficult to enforce. And to give you an idea about, you know, anywhere between 50 to 70% of the greenery of the trees uh, that are in the city are typically on private land, meaning that, you know, the city only really has control over 30 to 50% of what goes on, which is a challenge, but I think at the same time, a massive opportunity, because it means that we as individuals have a large role to play in preserving these really important spaces. So, so I guess that's a good segue to, you know, what from your perspective can be done about that, you know, really alarming trend of, you know, losing that green space, losing that those trees and vegetation and green spaces. So what, what, what do you see as some of the solutions to this, uh, to this issue? So I think anyone who's who's been in the urban forestry space, you know, is no stranger to remote sensing, the use of aerial imagery, drones and satellite imagery to be able to assess what the canopy cover looks like in a city. I think that's critical moving forward, um, especially because I think the most important thing we have to do first and foremost is better understand our urban ecosystems so that we can hopefully better protect them. And I think tools like remote sensing have a really important role to play in that. 
And we're now in a period of time where the resolution of um, the spatial resolution of satellite imagery that we have access to um, is so incredibly fine. I mean, we're talking about um, you know, a 30 centimeter pixel resolution. That's the highest available resolution on the commercial market right now. Um, and even at that high of a resolution, using this imagery is quite cost effective when you compare it to drones or aerial imagery that obviously you need to fly much more often and take a lot longer to be able to map the same area. Using the satellite imagery is able to not only give us an idea of um, where we've had trees and where perhaps we've lost them, but also we're able to look at the condition of trees, the health of trees, be able to even identify the species of trees. So for cities that still don't have an up-to-date tree inventory, this is a way to get that done a lot more cost-effectively and ultimately actually help us create you know, more evidence-based decisions in terms of where we need to prioritize maintaining existing urban forest stock and perhaps planting new urban forest stock as well. And it could even play a role in helping us enforce deforestation on private land, which is a bit of a touchy subject, of course, because whose responsibility is that? But you know, if, it, if, it, if a city has a private tree ordinance and that those trees of a certain size on private land are meant to be protected, we need the tools to be able to enforce that as well. So there's a whole host of different ways that we can use remote sensing to help us better understand the urban ecosystem. And once we've done that, I mean, there's so many different exciting technologies that we can use on the ground as well to help us better understand and hopefully better protect the urban forest. Thank you, yeah. Um, now what about, and, and I think maybe you touched on a little bit of there, but could you could you give us a little bit of an overview of, of something you talk a lot about and you mentioned it before, which is the internet of nature. Could you give listeners a little bit of a, a sense of what you mean when you say that? Yeah, so the, the internet of nature is a little bit of a tongue in cheek to, to two different concepts that I hope to bring together. On the one hand, this idea that um, Earth has its own natural form of internet. For anyone that's um, read The Hidden Life of Trees um, by Peter Wallowin, I can highly recommend that as a great summer read. Um, this idea that you know trees are not these solitary individuals that, they th that we thought they were, they're actually social beings that are in constant communication with each other via their underground fungal fibers. Um, so I was always left with the question, you know, if that's the case in natural forest ecosystems, what happens to those fungal networks when we plant trees and other vegetation in city? And it turns out that network is oftentimes disrupted in cities. And perhaps if it's disrupted, and you know, we as, as, as humans, I think need to take the responsibility to then take the best care that we can for, those, for that tree and for that vegetation. And perhaps technology is the tool that we need to be able to plug into that existing biological communication network. Um, but the other flip side of is, of course, um, Internet of Nature sounds a lot like the Internet of Things. Internet of Things is, of course, you know, one of the most ubiquitous smart city technologies that we have. And throughout my research and examining all of these different smart city technologies, whether it be sensors or remote sensing um, or, you know, surveillance cameras or machine learning or blockchain or big data, all of these different technologies and applications that we want to use to improve urban life. You know, they've been used for all of these different mobility waste management applications, but it seems that, you know, urban ecology has been long left behind from that digital revolution. And um, so my goal is really with the Internet of Nature to take nature online and help us better understand and protect our urban ecosystems, better take care of them, but also reconnect people back to nature, because I think that's 
um, that's what we need to do to really create this mindset uh, shift that we need to make that nature is a is a key determinant of our economic, social and and ecological well-being in our cities. Yeah, absolutely. And, and from your perspective, what role do horticulture professionals, um, you know, folks that, you know, might be members of Landscape Ontario Horticultural Trade Association, the folks that are, you know, designing, building, maintaining uh, green spaces that are growing, um, you know, growing uh, the trees and shrubs and plants, what role do, do they play in, in this thinking that you, that you study and that you teach? I think one of the most important roles, because they're the ones that are on the ground that are shaping and creating, that they're shaping the future of what these ecosystems will look like. And I think um, traditionally, arboriculture and horticulture have been fields that have perhaps shied away from emerging technologies, uh, maybe perhaps, and I know this is the case as an ecological engineer, I know definitely in ecology, you know, ecology has been very technophobic in the past because it feels like, you know, how could a piece of technology possibly tell me what's going on in the field? You know, I as a true ecologist need to be there and understand. But the fact of the matter is, um, with all of the pressing challenges that we're facing today, the urban landscape is far too complex um, for one horticulturist or one arborist or arboriculturist to be able to manage all of that. And we need to use whatever tools that we have at our disposal, and I see emerging technologies as, as, as a big one, to be able to better understand as the urban ecosystems that we can drive more evidence-based decisions. Um, so a, a very specific example of this might be the use of um, soil sensors. I think num the, one, the number one thing that we see a lot of the time um, as our you know, summers uh, increasingly get hotter and drier, we've seen already this past summer some insane heat domes and heat waves. Um, of course, they're a big threat to humans, um, but also to a lot of other species, including our trees. Trees can actually do quite well when it gets quite hot, but of course the limiting factor is water. And in a time of heat waves like that, and in a generally hot summer, it's very difficult to establish when and where and how much to water using you know, internet of things, soil moisture sensors to allow us to, to really drive evidence-based decisions on when, where, and how much to water. Um, that's not just something that we can learn from, but it's something that we can act upon as well and actually allow urban vegetation, even in these trying times, to thrive rather than just survive. Yeah, absolutely, I love that example. Uh, well, you know, uh, Nadina, I really appreciate you giving a, a just, you know, I, I get that it's, you know, just a really uh, a brief overview of some of the, the topics that you're, you're involved in, but I, I hope that it, it serves as a, you know, a bit of an introduction and, and that listeners here, members of Landscape Ontario, other horticulture professionals in Canada uh, will seek you out. Where, where can they find uh, more about what you do and, and more on these topics? Yeah, I would definitely encourage anyone who's listening to connect with me uh, on LinkedIn, uh, which is just my name, Nadine Gali. I also have a website, nadinagali.com. And this past year, I uh, kicked off the first season of my podcast, the Internet of Nature podcast. So for any of you that are interested in hearing more stories of different innovators and entrepreneurs using these technologies in the field of, of horticulture and arboriculture, I would definitely encourage you to check out. Uh, season two is coming out in September. Fantastic. Yeah, I hope everybody goes and checks out uh, your website and, and the podcast. And yeah, it's, it's great stuff. Well, thank you very much. I very much appreciate your time and uh, hope to talk to you again down the line. Likewise. Thanks for having me.